0: The presence of God transforms lives and heals hearts. Let's learn today truths on how we can access His presence and release heaven into our daily lives. Welcome to manifest His presence with your host, Dr. Candace Smithyman. Well, hello, everybody. It's Pastor Adam again, and. Uh... Over the last three podcasts, I have talked about some things that happened in the first few chapters of Genesis and how that should impact the lens or you know the worldview. We should view the remainder of the scriptures in, in this book that we all admire and are learning about called the Bible. So today I'm going to look at another transgression that will hopefully help us view these earliest recorded transgressions through the filter of an ancient Hebrew, their worldview, which in turn will assist us in a greater or better understanding of what we are gleaning to learn more of called Christianity. So this next, I'm going to get right into it. And so this next big transgression is referred to as the Tower of Babel. Now, the main character is this guy named Nimrod. It is believed in the ancient Hebrew text that Nimrod means rebellion. And it is also believed that Nimrod was the founder of the Babylonian Empire. Scripture also tells us that Nimrod was characterized as a great hunter. So so what Scripture reveals is that this Nimrod character has submitted to the evil that we have already been introduced to in the Garden of Eden via that individual referred to as the serpent as well as later on in the next few chapters when we're introduced to the giants from the great flood during Noah's time. And according to Genesis 10, Nimrod is grandson to Ham, the son of Ham's son Cush. Also during that last podcast, I discussed how it appears that it was Ham's wife who had the giant or the Nephilim gene in her bloodline because the scriptures tell us God was fed up with what was going on here. So the flood comes to wipe out everything except Noah, Noah's wife and Noah's three sons and their three wives. So eight humans survived, but it all scripture also says that the giants were there after the flood. All right. Another very important thing that uh, to take note of here is at the beginning of Genesis 10, The Bible titles this chapter as the table of nations. Now, I'm going to get back to that a little later in this podcast, that table of nations uh, concept, because it'll help us understand the worldview or lens we need to look through for our better understanding of where we are today. Now, all this stuff we will hear today continues the theme that we've already discussed. And it's it's kind of like a way to look at this as like a bridge between the violation of Genesis 3 in the Garden of Eden, and then the violation in Genesis 6, where again, the first mention of the giants, which instigates the great flood, and then tying in here now in this next event in Genesis 11, referred to as the Tower of Babel. Each of these events is significant as they help frame the entire story leading to these people That will be referred to for the remainder of the scriptures called the Hebrews or Jews or Israel. And that continues for the rest of time. See, this story about building a tower is about way more than a failed construction project and language confusion. This episode is at the very heart of the ancient Hebrew worldview. This incident is where the people sought to make a name for themselves by constructing this building that reached to the heavens where the God lives, where the gods live. Okay, so I'm going to read Genesis 11, starting with verse 1. It's going to, I'm going to read 1 through 9 of Genesis 11. Now, the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to each other, Come. Let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and they had tar for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top reaches to the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Then Yahweh came down to see the city and the tower that humankind was building. And Yahweh said, behold, they are one people with one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. So now nothing that they intend to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language there, so that they will not understand each other's language. So Yahweh scattered them from there over the face of the whole earth, and they stopped building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel. For there, Yahweh confused the language of the whole earth, and there, Yahweh scattered them over the face of the whole earth. All right, so in those nine verses, there's a lot of stuff going on. So first off, it's a subtle thing, uh, but I got to make sure we talk about this. But did you notice that once again, we read with this plural God thing going on, just like In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, when God said, let us make man in our image, here in verse 7 of Genesis 11, God says, let us go down and confuse their language. So it's plural. It's more than just God. It's us. It's a group. This plural announcement is followed by the action, though, of the one and only Elohim, the one and only, the most powerful Elohim just like in Genesis 1, when he created man. He said, let's make them in our image, but then he, just singular, created them. Now, so many of us through the years have kind of looked at these events of these opening 11 chapters of Genesis regarding the serpent, the giants, the the great flood of Noah's time, and the Tower of Babel, and wondered how they impact, how do these tie into the threat of redemption that led to the Messiah Jesus Christ. What's the significance of this, in other words? Well, first off, I need to apologize, and I'm apologizing in general for all the ministers and ministries through the years that have failed to discuss this, and frankly, because of that, have caused a lot of frustration, a lot of confusion, a lot of doubt, and in an indirect way, they have harmed people that are yearning to learn more about God. And and I don't, I'm not, I'm not trying to say that I believe it was done on purpose by anybody or, or that they were doing it to be misleading, but I will say this. I think it's out of ignorance, fear, and probably laziness. Uh, any one of those three or those three and even more. I mean, many other Old Testament passages that speak of this are dismissed by many ministers and ministries. They just won't talk about it. People will go ask them questions and they'll go, I I don't know. It's not important. It doesn't deal with salvation, you know, and I think that just does a lot of harm to all of us through the years. And I don't think a lot of people have the braveness or the boldness to call ministers out on it. And some do. And uh, but I just I just don't think that was done very well through the ages. And I just say kind of it's shame on on all of us that are in ministry leadership positions or have been for the ages for being ignorant, lazy and afraid because we got to figure this stuff out so we can have a better understanding of how much God loves us and cares for us. And it's because of that, that I personally am driven to investigate these types of things. All right. Had to get that out there. Okay. um, all right, now let us let me dig into this a little bit. I want to take us to the book of Deuteronomy, which will help clarify and explain what we just read, okay, in uh, Genesis 11. It kind of will kickstart us today, if you will. So if you're following along or taking notes, write down, we're going to Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 8 and 9. And here's what the scriptures tell us in Deuteronomy 32, verses 8 and 9. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. But the Lord's portion of his people, Jacob, his allotted heritage. All right, so those two scriptures right there is referencing the events from the Tower of Babel incident that we just read in Genesis 11. But it doesn't like, a lot of people don't tie that in. And I fully admit that these scriptures don't come right out and say that, but, but if you do a little research, it becomes very clear what this is referencing. It's referencing the dispersing of the peoples from the Tower of Babel situation from Genesis 11. See, when God dispersed the nations at the Tower of Babel, it resulted in him disinheriting those nations and those people that followed those spiritual beating, beings that were gonna be the head of those nations. Let me, let me kind of tie this in. Now keep this together, keep holding on here, okay? But let me kind of give us an equivalence of what I just said, this theme, in other words, from the New Testament for a further tie-in or a reference to validate this claim before jumping back to Deuteronomy again to explain some more. Go into Romans chapter one, starting with verse 18. Here's what the scriptures tell us. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. So this this dialogue here, this discourse in the book of Romans, the writer Paul is sharing from the exact same theme that was displayed by God way back in the first book of the Bible called Genesis at, at the Tower of Babel. The Elohim decided that the people of the world, these different nations, were no longer going to be in relationship to him. God honors, in other words, what's going on? God honors each one's free will choice on who they want to worship. And and then what God does is he begins anew again. God would be entering a covenant relationship with a new people that didn't even exist yet. We find this out at the end of chapter 11, when we start talking about this guy named Abram, right? Because in the very next chapter after 11, chapter 12, we get more explanation of this guy and how the covenant is going to be established with this guy whose name is Abram. And these new people that didn't exist yet will be called the Hebrews or Israel, the Jews, That is why proper understanding of this passage in Genesis 11, of this event that we're talking about, referred to as the Tower of Babel, are vital. They're crucial to understanding what is going to come forth in the remainder of this, you know, the books that we referred to as the Old Testament. All about the Hebrews. Now, okay, I hope this is making sense. Again, this is the beauty of this. We've got this technology. You can pause it. You can go back and listen again. You can take notes. You can question it. You can research it. But it's there. So I want to jump back now to what we read in Deuteronomy 32 and that passage and because there's an important point I got to make here. Because most English Bibles do not properly translate the last part of verse 8 of Deuteronomy 32. The accurate reading is what I read earlier. It's this at the end. According to the number of the sons of God. The last few words of that verse 8 should be properly read, according to the number of the sons of God. But most English Bibles, I bet you if you have a Bible right in front of you, it reads like this. According to the number of the sons of Israel or the children of Israel, it might say. That's so, uh, the word they changed there was sons of God to ch- sons of Israel or children of Israel. And that change has an enormous impact. Now, let me share some detective work in explaining this. The text we're reading here, the, fortunately for us, this is part of what the, where the Dead Sea Scrolls, you know, when they discovered this, Deuteronomy, the book of Deuteronomy was some of the scrolls they found. This entire event being discussed in Deuteronomy 32 is about what happened at the Tower of Babel, Genesis 11. Well, folks, that event happened before we're introduced to this guy named Abram, who would eventually become the person God will use to be the father of all the nations, but specifically the nation of what? Israel, through, through his grandson who? Jacob. These people and our nations were divided at Bible, at, I mean at Babel, sorry, were divided at the Tower of Babel before Israel even existed as a people group. What I'm getting at is it makes no sense for God to divide up the nations of the earth according to the number of the sons of Israel, in, in that, right? That it would say in Deuteronomy 32 at the end of verse, verse 8. If there was no Israel, when this was referencing Genesis 11 at the Tower of Babel. I hope, I hope you're following what I just said. Because, because folks, this is a significant error to, to say it was the sons of Israel or the children of Israel when it's crystal clear that there was no Israel yet. That's why scripture in Deuteronomy two eight referencing the Tower of Babel should properly read the sons of God. I hope that makes sense and we can see the significance of that error because it has a domino effect of errors reaped from that improper translation. It just keeps getting bigger and bigger and, and our worldview would be, you know, and then we'd be continuing to properly interpret things wrong because we we'll would say, well, Deuteronomy 32.8 says it was the sons of Israel. It's not the sons of God. Uh, wrong. And you know how many times this goes on in Scripture? A lot. I hate to tell us this. Now, I want to look, look into and investigate the table of nation things. I want to go back to that, that was mentioned in Genesis 10, 10 that I kind of mentioned at the start of this podcast. And I want to talk about the meaning behind the apportions that were given according to the number of the sons of God. And don't forget that what we're seeing going on in our sphere, like right now, like where you're at right now, this earthly sphere, the natural sphere, always has had a correspondent action going on in the spiritual unseen sphere. These nations mentioned here are placed under the authority of the members of Yahweh's divine council. These lesser Elohim. And this was done as a judgment from the Most High Elohim. Let's not forget this. The table of nations in Genesis 10 catalogs 70 nations that are disinherited by God that's gonna manifest at the Tower of Babel, okay? Okay, so that's I'm mentioning this 70 because I want us to take note because if you know your Bible, you know that number is mentioned multiple times throughout scriptures and it's not by coincidence, not by accidents. It's on purpose. For instance, Moses is encouraged by his father-in-law, Jethro, To get some elders to help him tend to the people on their way from Egypt to the promised land. In Exodus 24, right, it it tells us that Moses had 70 elders to assist him in pastoring the people. All All the Jews as they're moving out of bondage towards the promised land. Well, are you aware that the Jewish Sanhedrin followed this very same leadership structure, you know, during the time that Jesus was there? There were 70 of them, including the high priest. Are you aware that in Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends out 70 witnesses? He sends out 70. He sends them out two by two, but he sends out 70 to go out. It's not by accident, folks. God is restarting his intended Garden of Eden rule with Israel. Israel will have a single earthly leader, eventually the messianic king, the ultimate offspring of Eve, right? and a council of 70. And as the kingdom of God is reestablished on earth, the 70 nations dispersed at the Tower of Babel will be reunited. This was started by Jesus and will continue to the end of days, folks. Okay, I, hope, I just hope you grasp you that little tidbit. So back to Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses eight and nine. What is being said here is that God has apportioned or handed out, the earthly nations, to the rebellious sons of God. So now I want to bring another set of scriptures to kind of assist in helping us to digest this information as well as help us to paint this full picture of this scenario. And I'm going to the book of Deuteronomy again. It's just earlier in Deuteronomy chapter four. I'm gonna read verses uh, 19 and 20 of Deuteronomy chapter four. Here it is. And beware, lest you raise your eyes to heaven. And when you see the sun and the moon and the stars, all the hosts of heaven, you be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them, things that the Lord your God has allotted to all the peoples under the whole heaven. But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be a people of his own inheritance as you are this day. Okay. Again, that might not seem like it's, you know, talking about what we've been, we've been emphasizing here. But what this says is that God allotted the rebellious sons of God to those new dispersed and disinherited nations. In other words, God decreed after the Tower of Babel incident that if you don't want to obey him, by your free will choice, you don't want to obey him, then he is not going to force you to obey him and you will be matched up with some other lesser god that you can worship, which is, in fact, these rebellious sons of God from the spiritual realm. This, This dialogue that we're talking about recorded for us in Deuteronomy 4 and also in Deuteronomy 32 matches up perfectly with the theme that we started in these podcasts from Psalm 82. Remember that Psalm 82 had these Elohim judging other Elohim, right? The Elohim, the creator was judging these other spiritual sons of God. Right? The sons of the most high Elohim. Because what was going on? They had been corrupt in their stewardship and management of the people and the nations. Right, Psalm eighty-two ends with the psalmist pleading. He says, "Rise up, O God, judge the earth. Rise up, rise up, the Elohim, judge the earth, because you shall inherit all the nations." To me, that's a big wow. That's just like a oh my gosh. For for me, when I grasp this, I had to just you know I'm taking a step back. I lean back in my chair. I shut up. I just paused. I thought. O-M-G was my, like, I'm like, oh my gosh. I mean, for me, it was like a huge piece of all of these bits and pieces of the scriptures and the stories and everything came so fit nicely and all worked together. I mean, for me, it brings some clarity to the macro understanding of the Bible theme. That, it did that for me. And, and I'm, I think this is doing it for people when I share this. I just think it's so enlightening. It makes things so much make sense. Now, now, you may have you know, been processing or have processed or thought or been taught that God was overly severe in his response to the Tower of Babel incident. But I, I think it's important to look through the lens of the ancient Hebrew as well as consider the context and, and not only look at God as just being a glorified building inspector. Don't forget that we must remember the context so we gain the best and proper perspective. In the Hebrew worldview, gods were perceived to live at these high places as well as live in lush gardens, which is exactly what describes the Garden of Eden when the scriptures are first brought to us. That's where it starts. The entire... Tower of Babel thing is shouting about how the humans are trying to bring heaven to earth or earth to heaven, however you want to look at it. But the bottom line is they want to live with the gods again, right? The ancient Hebrew, that worldview knows all too well that it's at the high places where heaven and earth intersect. So just like what happened in Genesis 6, when these giants, these men of renown were taking over the earth, we find here in the Tower of Babel scenario that Nimrod and his minions wanted to make a name for themselves. So they're doing the reverse. They're going to heaven. And in conjunction to making a name for themselves, they also claimed they would bow down and worship God, the Elohim. But it was a lie. It was part of the demonic deception as they really wanted to have divine rule themselves. And the Most High God knew their true hard intentions and therefore shut them down by scattering them and preventing them from communicating with each other. In other words, what's really going on is God is helping us from ourselves. He's a, it's a measure of grace. Remember that right after the flood, God gave Noah and his sons the same instructions as he had given Adam at the very beginning. He says to them in Genesis 9:1: be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. I mean, here it is, just showing grace and mercy. God, is, he loves us so much, he gave the same Garden of Eden intention for his creation to, to Noah and his sons. But once again, instead of obeying and having Yahweh be their God, the people gathered and built a tower, as we just were reading in Genesis 11. Now, theologically, this implies that God's creation, the human, Adam, right, man, had shunned God and God's plan to restore Eden using man. So God humbles man again and starts again with another man. In this case, in Genesis, at the end of 11, we're introduced to Abram, and then we start Genesis 12, and it's all about this guy, Abram. Now, what what is totally incredible, even though this decision by God seems harsh in dispersing the people and confusing their language, is that the other nations, when they're dispersed, are not completely forsaken. Yes God disinherits the nation disinherits the nations but in the very next chapter as we you know Genesis 12 God calls out this guy named Abram out of guess you know you guessed it where a pagan culture that worshiped other gods particularly Baal from the land that's you know referred to as Mesopotamia or Ur in the land of the Chaldeans I I just believe we need to severely humble ourselves and understand that our God We'll take a man out of the heart of rebellion and make a new nation Israel. I mean, wow. And, but that's not all. God also said that in this new covenant with Abram, all the nations of the earth would be blessed through Abram and his descendants. This covenant language shows us that it was God's intention, even though he just punished the nations, that this new nation called Israel would be a link for everyone's return to the true God. In other words, all those that were disinherited at the Tower of Babel that were punished would be in spiritual bondage to the corrupt sons of God. But, but, here you have it again, this new people group, Israel, will be a conduit, a mediator back to the Most High God for all those disinherited people groups. It's like God always leaves a spiritual breadcrumb trail back to him. This this is references in the New Testament multiple times. For instance, in Jesus is talking in John chapter fifteen verse five, he says, "I'm the vine; you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing." You know, we've, or or Paul when he's talking in basically the entire chapter chapter of Romans verse eleven. I mean, chapter eleven of Romans. There's this theme that the root of salvation is Israel. Through Israel, it comes through Israel. And we as Gentiles are the branches that are grafted into the roof if we will follow that God of the Jews. And that trail leads through Israel, through, through Israel's Messiah, Jesus Christ. And everyone is welcome to humble themselves and bow to serve Jesus and be welcome back to the one true God. In other words, this incident. At the Tower of Babel, moving forward throughout the Old Testament, will show Israel battling these disinherited nations in the natural realm here on earth. And God, right, there's this spiritual battle going on with these rebellious sons of God that rule over these disinherited nations in the spiritual unseen realm. And as you read the scriptures, as you're reading the Bible, this scenario is going on and on and on, kind of behind the scenes and Every story and every scene. And because this is so very important, I want to do some overview of what we've heard and what we've been listening to. First off, the Most High God, the Elohim, has an undying love for his creation called man. In other words, he's got a love for you that surpasses anything you can and I can comprehend. We, we, through these four podcasts, have looked at four incidents recorded in Genesis 1 through 11 that reveal, I hope you can see it, how caring and loving God is to his creation, man. Now, initially, God's Garden of Eden vision began with his announcement that humankind was in his image. The Most High God has divine sons, a divine family, in other words, and he declared that he would also have a human family. In the book of Genesis, we are told God had a council of unseen beings who represented his authority in the unseen spiritual realm and could participate and were given delegated authority, if you will, given stewardship in conducting themselves. So God, like before we were created, had established this delegated authority concept within his divine realm, in that spiritual unseen realm. Genesis also showed us that God planned a mirror kind of human council here on earth made in the same image as the unseen spiritual beings and was giving authority on earth to these humans to rule and reign in this realm. In other words, God had given both realms delegated stewardship responsibility. And in the Garden of Eden, these two family administrations were together in God's presence. Where, in other words, it's where heaven and earth intersected. God wanted to live and rule with the human children in his new creation called earth, as well as the divine children in the spiritual realm at the same time, on this in the same place, called Eden, and as the story continues, we read that not only did humanity fail miserably, but also some of these spiritual children did. In other words, free will in the hands of imperfect beings comes with a huge risk. You know, reading from Genesis 3 to 11 revealed that there is a Garden of Eden kind of yearning deep within the humankind that helps explain things like the Tower of Babel, things like a desire for utopias, a sense of divine presence here on earth that we all kind of strive for. But what we also should glean from reading this is that God will not surrender his own version of Eden for humanity's version of Eden. In other words, God's not going to allow the Tower of Babel thing to manifest. We read that God would choose a new people as his own portion that would come out of Abram and pass on through his family. God would deliver this family from bondage in Egypt, and the process used that example to show, the re- in this he's showing the rebellious sons of God that they were defeated. But the rebellious gods are relentless, and they never quit. Well, Our God doesn't quit either, does he? And he doesn't want you and I to quit either. We are introduced to this theme where the Most High God refers to Israel as his son, refers to Israel as his firstborn. It is this theme that was begun at the creation of sonship. Adam, Adam was Yahweh's son. Israel was Yahweh's son. This theme continues throughout the scriptures. God refers to the King of Israel as his son. The ultimate future king, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, will sit on the seat of David and must be Yahweh's son. And you and I as glorified believers will sit on the throne too. We are God's sons and daughters. We are his children. See, our status began with Adam, then through Noah, then was rescued in Abram, then was fulfilled finally by Jesus Christ. Now, I'm, I am well aware that so many of us have heard and and read the scriptures about this what I've just said but I am also keenly aware as pastor as I pastored for 15 years a congregation that so many don't really believe it and you know why I can say that because you're the way you conduct people would conduct themselves they don't walk the walk they only talk the talk They didn't do what they claim they they believe in. But I want to, again, reinforce with scriptures what God says about us. Galatians chapter three, verse 26 through 29. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither, neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. See, folks, we will inherit the rule of the nations with Jesus at the end of the days. That's what scripture says in Revelation 3.21. It says, to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. In other words, those who finish the race and get back up each time, that's what I'm talking about. You get knocked down, who doesn't get knocked down? Everybody right now would raise their hand. Every single one of us, every human gets knocked down, gets defeated, however you want to talk about it. A Christian gets back up after they're knocked down, right? And they're going to displace the corrupt divine sons of God that are presently ruling the nations. Remember what we shared in the first podcast of this series in Psalm 82 those rebellious divine sons of God are under judgment for their terrible stewardship of the nations. Here's a few additional scriptures I want to encourage to share to encourage you. John chapter one, verse 12. But as many as received him to those who believed in his name, he gave to them authority to become children of God. First John chapter three, verse one. See what sort of love the father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And we are. Oh, and remember when the Apostle Paul is writing to the Corinthian church and he tells them that don't let the world's court resolve your disputes. You want to know why? Because in 1 Corinthians 6, 3, Paul tells them, don't you know that you're going to judge angels? (laughs) We're above angels, people. Folks, can you see that when you are made divine, when you are in your new glorified bodies on the new earth, we will outrank angels. Believers in Jesus Christ are the most high Elohim's once and future families. We are God's once and future counsel. We are God's once and future rulers with Jesus over all the nations. That is our heritage. And in hearing this, aren't you grateful? Aren't you thankful? Does it make you want to humble yourselves maybe more than you ever have? Does it make you want to maybe acknowledge some things that you aren't doing right and repent? Because it should. Hallelujah. Let me close down in prayer. Father, we are so grateful for what you've done for us. We are helping, Father God, and asking you to show us and reveal to us how this ties in, these things we've heard, to give us more clarity and understanding so that we can walk taller. We can walk knowing that we're your sons and act like it. We are your sons and daughters, and we need to act like it and show the world of it. And we can be bold and brave and have no fear. There should be no spirit of fear, that false evidence appearing real father god forgive us of those things we do that we live in fear give us the strength and the courage and the boldness to live like your sons and daughters we thank you father in the mighty and matchless name of your son jesus christ amen thank you for joining dr candace for today's podcast for more resources and weekly prophetic words direct in your email box go to our website at www.candissmithyman.com, Facebook at Candice Smithyman, or Instagram at Candace Smithyman. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Your review helps the show reach more people and spread the gospel.